Well, hey, y'all. Ooh, that was, that was, that would be all right if I were anywhere else other than Bridgeway. I said, hey, y'all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. My name is Judah, if we haven't met before. And I always just take this moment to plug our young adult ministry. That's the ministry that I get to be a part of, young adults. Yeah. So listen, if you're between the ages of 18 and 25 and you have not connected with the ministry yet, today is the day to do that. Um, right after this service, we're going to be, all the young adults, we're going to be right down here in this front section until they kick us out. Come on down and we, I'd love to meet you and let's schedule some time to get some coffee or some Jamba Juice and get you connected into, the, into this family of BYA, yeah? Cool. So I am excited because we are in the final week of our mini series on the power of freedom. And I hope it has blessed you the way it has blessed me. We started off two weeks ago and I was talking and teaching about the power of freedom um, from what happened to us. Freedom from traumas and, and things that have happened to us that have harmed us and hurt us. And then last week, Pastor Jake Taylor from the Father's House was with us, and he talked about freedom from um, anxiety and depression. And if you didn't get a chance to be here and see that, I would encourage you to go on YouTube and and watch that because he blessed us. But so far in this series, we've been talking a lot about freedom from things that happened to us. But what about those of us who need freedom from things done by us? What about those of us who need freedom from what we've done? Most of us, if we're honest, are walking around with some level of regret. Most of us, if we're honest, are walking around with some woulda and some shoulda and some coulda in our back pocket. And today my heart is burdened for those of us in that camp. My heart is burdened for those who have pitched our tents and laid foundations and built homes in the land of regrets. Many of us look back over our lives and we realize that in both large and in small ways, we have dropped the ball. We have made choices, we have made decisions, we have made mistakes that have spawned consequences so catastrophic, so disastrous, so painful, that the only response we thought we could have is to wear our humiliation and our guilt and our shame as a garment. And so everywhere we go, every room we walk into, we walk into it wearing our guilt and our shame. We let it ride in the car with us. We let it climb into the bed with us at night. We let it skew our perception of our worth and our identity and we deny ourselves the things that we need because we feel the need to punish ourselves for what we've done. And it's funny how, how comfortable we can get with bondage. You know, if you wear a chain long enough, you won't even realize you're wearing it. And so you may be here today and thinking, why does it matter if I feel guilty? Why does it matter if I've got some shame? Why why should I be concerned about being free from these feelings, especially when I'm so used to them? Does it even matter if I'm weighed down by guilt and shame and regret? I'll tell you, I think it matters to Jesus. 
I think it matters to Jesus because what I know is that after, after that man had been falsely accused and lied on, after he had been arrested in the middle of the night, and after they had taken him to illegal trial after illegal trial and beat him with rods and whips within an inch of his life, after they had yanked his beard out of his face and placed a crown of thorns on his head and nailed him to a cross and pierced his side with a spear, he said three words. He said, it is finished, and he meant it. And some of us have been living lives that argue with that. Some of us burdened by the weight of guilt and shame have been living lives that say, it's not finished. What I did was so bad, it's so bad, there's more suffering that needs to be had, more blood that needs to be shed, and we have spent far too long trying to climb up on a cross ourselves and nail ourselves there. But you know what, the cross is a one-seater. Doesn't have an extra seat for you. Jesus climbed on the cross so that you wouldn't have to, so it is inappropriate for us to be walking around chained by what we've done. Your fill in the blank is gonna be prophetic. That means that we're going to say it even if we can't see it as true right now, that we're gonna say it believing that it's true, believing that it will come to be even if it's not where you are right now. It's real easy, say it with me. I will be free from my failures. Yeah, I will be free from my failures. I will recognize that I made a mistake, but I'm not the mistake. That I may have failed, but I'm not a failure. That while I dropped the ball and I did some things that were wrong, it is not my identity, it is not who I am. I will be free from my failures. I know what it is to carry the weight of failure. One of the greatest failures in my life is around my relationship with my brother. His name is Khalil. And I've talked on this very stage about how my brother and I um, have different fathers. My mother loved us so much, she gave us each our own daddy. Uh, and my mother was married to my brother's father for a while, and my brother's father was an alcoholic. And I've talked on this stage about how chaotic that was for our family, and eventually my mother uh, realized that it was no longer safe for us to be in that relationship, and she got us out. And we were so relieved and filled with joy and peace that we were getting out of that situation. My family was so excited and we were so wrapped up in our own feelings about it, we forgot that there was a little boy whose world was falling apart. And that little boy woke up one morning and his daddy was gone and his brother, his, his father's uh, son, my stepbrother, his brother had gone, and he woke up one morning and his older and favorite brother, me, I was gone, because I was going off to college, and he woke up one morning, and his sister was gone, because she had come to live in Florida with me, and he woke up one morning, and he didn't live in the same house anymore, because we had lost the house and had to find someplace else to live, and he woke up one morning and realized that his body was changing as he was going through puberty, and he woke up one morning, and he realized that his mother had gotten remarried, to a good guy, but a different guy. And he woke up one morning and realized that his parents now had adopted two more children. So he goes from being the baby to the only, to the oldest almost overnight, and his world was falling apart. His mental health got so bad and 
Therapists don't love diagnosing children because they're so young, so we didn't have language for what he had going on, and things got chaotic. And things got so chaotic, eventually I told my mom, I said, Mama, just send him to live with me, because if he gets a little froggy, you know, I, you know, I. And what my brother needed was somebody to see him. He needed somebody to hold space for all of the things that he was feeling. He needed somebody to have compassion for him and what he got in me was a dictator. He got somebody who ran a tight ship and I rode him about everything there was to ride him. I was on him all the time about everything. The only time he heard from me is if I was fussing at him about something that he had done wrong and I was so hard on him that it culminated in this really terrible, um, awful big old fight where my car got totaled and he ran away to LA and we didn't talk for almost five years. We didn't start beginning our reconciliation work till maybe two years ago. So I know what it is to be gripped by the guilt of consequences because when I look at my brother today and I see him as the man trying to build his life and trying to take care of his son and trying to advance in his career and I see the ways that he struggles, I see my fingerprints all over it. I see the ways that, man, if I had just, if I had only, if I had, I know what it is to carry the guilt of things that you've done, of ways that you failed. And maybe for some of you, it's not even that you did something explicitly wrong, it's that you made a choice and that choice had an impact. And so I'm walking out my own journey of freedom from it and I hope that maybe some of the things that the Lord is teaching me, perhaps they can be helpful to you, that instead of being covered in disgrace, you can be covered in blood because the blood of Jesus reconciles and the blood of Jesus transforms and the blood of Jesus, it heals and it saturates past the bruising and the tearing down to the root of a thing and can transform a thing. So y'all know I like to read a lot of scripture. So I'm gonna invite you to open your Bibles. We're gonna look at a story of a man recovering from his failure. And I hope that there are some things we can lift from it. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to begin at verse 13. Again, 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. If you forgot your Bible in the car, there's one in the seat in front of you. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Let's read it together. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. So you're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. And after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife born to David and he became ill. And David pleaded with God for the child and he fasted and he wept and spent nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. And the elders of his household stood beside him to get up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died, and David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him that the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering amongst themselves, and he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. And then David got up from the ground, And after he had washed and put on lotions and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And then he went to his own house and at his request, they served him food and he ate. 
His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat? And he answered them, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her, and she gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. And the Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. The blessing in reading about David's life is that he is one of the few characters in the Bible that we get to travel with from his very early days all the way till the day he dies. Most people in the Bible, we meet them in one particular season and we journey with them through a season or two, but then we don't hear from them anymore. Right? When we meet Peter in the Bible, we meet Peter as a grown man. Peter's a grown man, already invested in his career. He's already buried a wife. That's a very specific season to meet somebody in, right? So we don't have a lot of information about the experiences of Peter the boy or Peter the adolescent, right? But David, we meet as a young boy. We meet him when he is a, a servant with no clue of what he would become and what would happen in his life. We meet him and we watch him get to step into manhood and, and step into the career and, and learn to be a king. And we meet him at various different times in his life when he's cowering in a cave, scared of the government. And we meet him when he's at the head of the government running things. And, and the benefit of seeing a life as a whole and not just a season is that it reminds us how complex life is and how complex people, is, people are. We get to see in David's life that this is a complex person, that he has this intersectional, multifaceted identity. David was many things. David was the type who wrote poetry and played music and liked to dance. And David was also the type that would rip the head off of a lion. David was the type that would jump on you if you said something crazy to him. David, David was the type who could use his words that, and write scriptures that we read today. And David was also the type that would cuss you out fast. David was, was complex. He was many things. And one of the things that I think is important to acknowledge about ourselves and others is that we are complex, that people are many things. And too often we don't hold space for people or ourselves to be more than one thing. We want people to be one thing. We want to put them in a box and we do this to ourselves too. I am one thing, I fit in this box. And we do that because it makes things seem easier, because it's, it seems simpler, but it is not reality. The reality is that people are many things. I would love to stand here and tell you that my countenance on the stage is how I am 24 seven, seven days a week. That everywhere I go, I just, oh Jesus, Hallelujah. I wish I could tell you, let me tell you something. The truth is, last week I was at the doctor, doctor's office, and I went up to the window because my insurance card wouldn't scan in the machine. So I said, hey, I just want to make sure y'all have my insurance on file because I don't want that bill. Uh, and the machine wouldn't, took it, wouldn't take it. And the man behind the counter was like, you better speak louder or stop talking to me. <laughs> I, I said, who are you talking, who? 
You understand? What rose up in me was the desire not to pray and fast, but to leap over that counter. I'm just telling you the truth. I just want you to know what rose up in me. The point is, I didn't jump on that man. He saw my face and, and corrected his behavior. Glory to God. But, but the reality is, right, that we are multiple things. People are complex. And by the time we get to the story in, in, in David's life, we're really seeing his complexity bloom. Because we're seeing the same man who wrote tons of Old Testament scripture, the same man that God said is a man after my own heart, we see him struggling with a lust issue. If you're familiar with the story, you know that David is at home when he should be at work, and he happened to look over in his neighbor's yard and see a woman that was fine, Bathsheba was fine, and he decides to use his, his power and his authority to bring that woman into his home and into his bed. And when she becomes pregnant with his child, despite the fact that she is another man's wife, well, then David is in trouble. And so David calls that man, who also happens to be one of his top generals, he calls that man home from the battlefield and says, look, Uriah, you've been working hard. Have a drink and go home and be with your wife. And Uriah is such an honorable man. Uriah says, I, I can't go and enjoy the comforts of my wife's bed while my brothers are on the front line fighting for the country. So he doesn't go home. And then David says, well, I got to figure something else out. And so he decides to put Uriah on the front lines of the battle so that Uriah dies. And the scandal of it all is that he puts the instructions in writing, put Uriah on the front line and gives them to Uriah to give to his supervisor. Uriah walks back to the camp carrying his own death certificate. And so Bathsheba has this baby, and as the text tells us, the baby dies, and now David is carrying the weight of what his actions have caused. It is something that is so heavy, it threatens to crush him. Because David, you have disrupted a lot of lives now. We have a dead baby, a dead husband, a grieving widow, and sin in your household. And it is so much for David, but I think he models for us how we move through it and become free from it. Look at verse 19. It says, David noticed his attendants were whispering amongst themselves and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. The first thing that's going to be really important to you getting out from under the, the, the weight of the guilt and shame is acceptance and responsibility. You have to accept the consequences, first of all, that they are what they are. And you have to accept responsibility for your role in it, right? That means you have to look in the face of the circumstances and say, you know what, there's a part of this that I contributed to. I did it where I'm not gonna make any excuses about it, I'm just gonna say, I, 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 I did it, right? The baby got sick and died as a direct consequence of what David did. And what's so powerful about this is that we can assume that the baby died after David had repented. The text tells us David was fasting and praying and weeping and laying all on the floor. He had already said, Lord, please forgive me, but he still had to accept that there were consequences that our actions have consequences even as God has grace. And sometimes we have to look at those and say, you know what, I did it and this is the consequence. The consequence is right now, my kids don't wanna to talk to me. 
The consequences right now, we have a tense relationship. The consequences is there are, there's brokenness that exists in the family unit, right? So we have to accept responsibility for it and we have to avoid denying and minimizing our impact on others. Listen, denial and defensiveness never actually help. I just got to teach this to my youngest brother. Uh, we were out to eat and he accidentally knocked over his uh, glass of water. And so I flagged down the waitress and I said, let me get some napkins. So my brother accidentally uh, knocked over his glass of water. And my brother, he said, no, I didn't accidentally knock over the glass of water. I was just trying to see if the table was waterproof. He's 11. And I just thought this is a great moment to teach him. Jacob, sometimes, sometimes we just, we mess up. And your first step is to just say, I messed up. I did it, I dropped it, I messed up, right? And what I wanna be clear about is that accepting responsibility is not the same as self-punishment. What's the difference, Judah? Accepting responsibility is acknowledging and owning up to the fact that you played a role in creating the circumstances that you played a role in the outcome. Accepting responsibility is about personal growth. It's about learning from the mistake. It's about looking for opportunities to make amends if possible, right? On the other hand, self-punishment is, is often a negative and self-destructive response to how we feel about the consequences, right? And what this lo usually looks like is excessively blaming ourselves. Now the difference between accepting responsibility and excessive blaming is that accepting responsibility is simply noticing how you participated. It's just noticing it. Oh, yep, that was my part. That's what I contributed. That's what I brought to the table. Blame is attaching the outcome to your identity. And then what we do is we start making broad, brushstroke, blanketed statements. I'm a terrible father. I'm a terrible husband. I'm a terrible friend. I'm a terrible Christian. When these things aren't true, right? I can say I wasn't what my brother needed me to be and not say something like I'm a terrible brother. That's not true. I'm a great brother. How do I know? Because they always ask me for money. I'm worth something, <laughs> right? So what we want to avoid as we're accepting responsibility is we want to avoid engaging in harsh self-criticism. We want to avoid trying to inflict punishment on ourselves. Listen, you can't atone for what you've done. You can make amends, but you cannot atone. If you could atone, there'd be no need for Jesus, right? So we have to avoid the ways that self-punishment can show up as isolation, it can show up as self-deprivation or trying to sabotage your own happiness and well-being as a means of punishing yourself. Too many of us say, I won't allow myself to be happy because I did something wrong. Listen, making yourself miserable doesn't justify anything. So we want to accept responsibility as a healthy and constructive response and avoid self-punishment, which is counterproductive and it hinders our growth and it gets in the way of us making peace with the consequences of our action. And so a tool that you're gonna need in your tool belt for accepting responsibility in a healthy way is, write this down, self-compassion. And self-compassion involves intentionally inviting kindness into the conversation that you are having with yourself about what you have done. It involves intentionally using gentleness some of us are so violent with the way we think about ourselves. 
It involves inviting understanding and care into the face of your shortcomings. It involves acknowledging your own pain. You've heard the term, hurt people hurt people. It's true, right? So, so I acknowledge that a part of the reason I wasn't what my brother was able to do is because I had not been fathered. Now that's not an excuse, but I can invite understanding. I can invite compassion. You're gonna have to practice self-kindness in this. And what that can really look like is offering yourself words of encouragement through the process. Yeah, but Judah, I don't have any words of encouragement for myself. Yeah, but you have a Bible. Your Bible says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. You have a Bible where, where Jesus says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You have a Bible which says that God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, when you were still doing it, Christ died for you. You have a Bible. And if you don't, there's one on the seat in front of you. My treat. Take it home. <laughs> Acceptance and responsibility require self-compassion. They also require self-care. What does David immediately do after accepting what has happened? He starts taking care of himself. Look at verse 20. Then David got up from the ground, and after he had washed and put on lotions and changed clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. That's called self-care. And I want you to notice that it is holistic, that he takes care of himself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He starts with a bath. He bathes and he, he, he puts on lotion and he changes his clothes. And this is in the context of what we're reading, literally what he did. But might we also consider this to be a metaphor for transformation? That at some point David realizes, I can't continue to wear what I've been wearing. I've got to do something different. I want you to write this down. A part of how you're gonna get out from under the weight of guilt and shame is to self-reflect so you can learn and so you can change. There's some things that you're gonna have to wash off, things that you can't do anymore that you used to do. You're gonna have to do something else, maybe adopt a different way of communicating or a different way of parenting, maybe looking at what does it look like for me to be a better grandparent than I was a parent. You're gonna have to be maybe a different kind of friend, change the way you respond to conflict. Maybe reorganize your life so you can show up for people in different ways. Maybe you're gonna have to change some habits that lead to sin, but you're gonna have to get up off the ground and wash and put something else on. And it will help you find freedom from what you've done when you can say, you know what, I've made some errors, but I'm not on the ground anymore. I don't smell how I used to smell. I'm not wearing what I used to wear. I'm a better parent now. I'm a better husband now. I'm a better wife now. I'm more balanced now. I'm more healthy now. I have some more tools in my tool belt. I've grown and the weight of guilt doesn't sit on me the same way because I have learned now. Here's the question you have to ask every time you fail. What did I learn? What was the lesson? 
I heard a quote once that I have adopted in my own life. The quote says, I never lose. I either win or I learn. And I've adopted that in my own life. And so after acceptance and responsibility, David controlled what he could. He realized I've dropped the ball and I cannot control where the ball goes now, but I can control myself. I can't control what happens to the baby, but I can control what happens next. And what he controlled in part was his practice of self-care. And what I want you to notice is he didn't do it alone. Look at verse 20 again. Then David got up from the ground and after he had washed and put on lotions and changed his clothes, he went into the house of God and worshiped. I want you to write this down. In order to get through your failure and move on from the failure, you're gonna have to get in God's face about it. And I know that that sounds very obvious and, and, and clear in, in a church and amongst church people, but I just am always surprised in my own life at how often I look at things so binary and I say, okay, God, this is your stuff and this is my stuff and you do your stuff and I'll do my stuff and we'll debrief a little bit later. But the reality is there's not God's stuff and my stuff, it's all God's stuff. And so at some point at the apex of failure, you're gonna need more God more time with him. This may look like more time in your word, more time praying, more time in Christian community, but I will tell you this, your failure is not the time to skip weekend service. It's actually the time to go to all four services and ask about Bible study on Wednesday because you're going to need more God. And Satan knows, the enemy knows, if I can get you to sin and get you to push yourself away from God, I just got the two for one special. We're not giving the devil coupons anymore. So in the middle of failure, that's the time that you need to draw more closely to God, that you need to push past the embarrassment. One, because you can't, you can't surprise God. God is not disappointed in you because you, did, you didn't surprise him. You didn't catch him off guard. He knew the proclivity in you to mess up. So you're gonna have to get in God's face. What that can look like is practicing gratitude even in grief. You can grieve and be grateful. Bible says David went to church and worshiped God. His baby had just died, but he worshiped God. He had just done this tremendously evil thing but he worshiped God. His, his, his woman was grieving losing her firstborn and probably blaming him, and yet he worshiped God. David understood that worship is not to be attached to a feeling, and worship is not to be attached to a scenario. Some of us only worship when the fog machine is on and they sing our song. He understood that worship is to be attached to a person. The Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times and your praise shall continually be in my mouth. So even when I have failed, I will come to church and say, Lord, it's been hard, but you've been good. Lord, I have failed, but you have not worshiped God. You're gonna to have to get in God's face about it. And I want you to notice that David, David didn't just walk through his failure with God, but also with people. Again, look at verse 20. Then David got up from the ground and after he had washed and put on lotions and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went into his own house and at his request, they served him food and he ate. It's the at his request part for me. He asked for help. 
He asked for support. He opened up his shame before some people. Some of us are so determined to do the hardest parts of life alone. And that's so dangerous because shame can induce isolation, which is not what we're built for. Listen, the Bible says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Y'all are familiar with the scripture? And a lot of times when we hear that, we look at it in this kind of disassociated way and we say, okay, that must mean like, I am not ashamed to wear my Jesus loves me shirt to work. You know, I'm not ashamed to put my Jesus loves me bumper sticker on my car because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But in order to really say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what you really have to say is, I am not ashamed to say I need the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed to say I'm so broken and I'm so needy and I got so many issues and I'm so wounded and I got so many problems and I failed so many times and I don't think right and I don't act right and I struggle and the only way to fix it is for God, God's self to come down here and to take my place, to take my punishment, to fix my heart and my mind, to transform my soul and save me. That's what it means to say for, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is also to say, and one of the ways that God is doing this it's through people, through some folks who come alongside me and feed me and wash my feet and encourage me and help me with practical tools. And so one of the things you're going to have to do to get out from under the guilt of it, write this down. You're going to have to open up that shame to somebody. You're going to have to say, you know what? As, as pretty as I look at church and as, as much as I look like I got it together, I'm actually really grieving the fact that this is one of the areas that I have dropped the ball. A lot of people don't know this about me, but I've dropped the ball in this area. And when you do that, three things are gonna happen. One, you're gonna realize that you're not alone. You're gonna recognize the common humanity. You're gonna realize that actually, it's a whole bunch of daddies out here saying, listen, I don't know if I'm doing this fatherhood thing right. And it's a whole bunch of mothers out here like, yeah, child, I snapped on her this morning. I was so mean and asked so much. I, I need some help with this whole motherhood thing. You're gonna find that there are lots of Christians struggling with the same things that you're struggling with. And that pushes out the devil's voice that says, you are the only one and you're so evil and you're so wicked and you're not worth it anything. Number two, you're going to get the support that you need. Somebody to just walk alongside you and who knows what kind of resources they have. This is why I tell y'all to make sure you get you some older friends, some friends who are a generation or two ahead of you because they may have failed in areas that you're failing in right now and they may have some wisdom for you, right? So you get support and three, you get accountability. Now don't let that scare you. Accountability is good for you. Accountability helps keep us safe right? And so David realized that he could not control or change what happened, but that he had the opportunity to change what would happen going forward. And so when David had done his work of accepting responsibility and embracing the consequences, and he had done it with self-compassion and self-care and self-kindness and and, 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 and he had taken really good care of himself and opened up his shame before other people and he had worshiped God, then he was able to provide that for somebody else. Look at verse 24. 
Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. And what's so powerful about this is that this is the second time we've seen David and Bathsheba come together. But there's such a, a difference in how he, he approaches her this time. If you, if you turn one chapter before, if you look at 2 Samuel 11 and 4, 2 Samuel 11 and 4, the first time David and, and Bathsheba engaged, it says, so David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. But look at how David has changed. This time it says, verse 24 and 12, it says, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and he made love to her. David says, this time I'm gonna do something different. This time he goes to her, he doesn't sin for her. This time he goes to her and he doesn't go seeking what he could gain, he goes to comfort her. He doesn't go to objectify her and reduce her down to her sexuality, he goes to love her. And so his behavior is different because his motivations are different and therefore the outcome is different. This is the power of changing. This is the power of learning from our mistakes and our failures is that we get to now come and do something different. And what we see is that one of the ways you get out from under the, the burden of guilt and shame is that we try to make amends. We don't know the composition of the conversation that David has with Bathsheba that second time that he comes to her after the baby has died. We don't know how long that conversation is. It could have been a 12-month, 13-month, 19-month conversation. We don't know. But what we can guess is that at some point, David said, and baby, I'm sorry. I apologize. I messed up. I, I brought some, some real grief into our life, and I am so sorry. I dropped the ball, and I'm sorry. One of the ways that you're going to get free of what you've done is to go and make amends. And I know that there are a lot of reasons why we don't, why we, we take our time with this. Some of us haven't tried to make amends because we assume that it won't be received. Judah, they don't text me back as it is. They don't respond to my emails. They're gonna hang up the phone on me. Maybe, but you are not responsible for the reception. You are responsible for the apology. You are responsible for asking for forgiveness at least attempting to. Listen, your failure is worth the try. And some of us have not tried yet because we're scared, because we know that it could be hard and painful and perhaps long, but what I want you to know is you may be scared, but do it anyway. You don't have to ask your emotions for permission to do something, do it anyway. You can deal with hard and painful and long. And the reason you know that you can deal with hard and painful and long is because you've already been doing it. It's already been hard. All these years of carrying that guilt, it's already been painful. It's already been, been long. And what you know is that you have the Holy Spirit. And guess what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is? Long suffering. And Jesus hung on a cross and it was hard. It wasn't a soft cross. Jesus hung on a cross and it was painful and it was long and he did it to make amends for something he didn't even do. And then Jesus said, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these. You can deal with long and hard and painful. The movie is called Mission Impossible. 
Mission Heart should be a walk in the park for you. In Philippians, Paul talks about all the ups and downs from his experiences, and he ends and he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And this verse is often decontextualized and people try to say that it means I can do anything I wanna do. That's not what it means. But what it does mean is that I can do anything that God has assigned me to do, and he's assigned you to be a reconciler because he's a reconciler. Jesus said in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled. Leave all that praise and worship and all that hand, leave it at the altar. If you haven't tried to be reconciled, go and fix it and then come back. We'll be here every Sunday, 9 and 11, right? There is so much power in the words, I'm sorry. Verse 24 says that David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went into her and lay with her and she bore a son and he called his name Solomon and the Lord loved him. And what we see is that if we can master recovering from failure well, we have these opportunities to disrupt and break cycles, and we have this opportunity to have greater outcomes than we would have had if we hadn't made the mistake in the first place. That's what happens when we partner with God, even in our failure. The Bible goes on to say that Solomon, David's son, would grow up and be called a man of wisdom. Where do you think he got the wisdom from? From his daddy who was able to teach out of his failures. And what we see is that with God, for you what was failure can be curriculum in God's hands, can be a masterclass. You know, for you it was tragedy, but for God it's testimony. So I'm gonna say them all again, cause I went through them fast. If you're a note taker, here's your opportunity. The way we get free freedom from failure is we accept the consequences. We accept responsibility for our actions. That means we're just noticing where, God is, where we are in it. And we do this by practicing self-compassion. We do this by practicing self-reflection and self-care. It's hard work to say I was wrong. Take care of yourself while doing it. And our goal in doing all of this is to learn from it. What did you learn? and to change from it. Apply the lesson. Be something different than you were. You're gonna to need to get in God's face about it. This means we're increasing the amount of time we're spending with the Lord. You can choose what vehicles work for you. Reading the Bible, listening to the Bible, praying, being prayed for, coming to church, coming to Bible study, coming to small group, listening to worship music, get in God's face about it. Practicing gratitude in the grief. I'm going to be thankful all the time. The whole house can be on fire and I'm going to be praising God through the smoke. You're going to need to get some support through it. That means open up that shame before somebody. Secrets kill, right? So you can't tell everybody everything, but you can tell somebody something. Hey, this is, this is, this is where I have failed and I'm embarrassed about it and I'm ashamed about it. And then you're going to go and make amends. And this is, where, this is where God got in my face about it. I was writing for y'all. Yes, Lord, for the people of God. And God stopped me in my tracks and God said, you have not apologized to Khalil. I said, wait a minute, God, we was talking about for them. I said, Lord, I've, I've changed my behavior. 
Every time he asks for me for money, I give him money. We didn't spend time together. We don't even, I don't think we're mad at each other. He said, but you have not apologized. You have not said the words. Guess what I'm doing later on this evening? Y'all ask me about it next weekend. I'm going to just build some accountability for myself. Go make amends. Go and try. And they may return the letter unsent. They may ignore the text message. They may ignore the email. They may tell you that you're not sincere. They may be nasty about it. That's not your responsibility. But it is your responsibility to go and say, I'm sorry. I messed up. And I know it impacted you. And as you're working through those steps, you're going to find that the weight of the failure becomes less and less. That all of a sudden, you're not carrying that anymore. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray, uh, spend some time praying. I want to pray for folks who um, are carrying the weight of regret, the weight of failure. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to invite you to do, is if you are somebody here and you're like, yeah, I've got some regret and I've got some guilt and I've got some shame that I've been carrying based on things that I've done. Maybe they're big things, huge things, or maybe they're smaller things. Maybe it's a repeated way that you're sinning. But if you've got some regret and some guilt and some shame, I'm going to invite you to stand up because I just want to pray for you. And I know that that's hard, but I'm going to encourage you to be courageous and rest on your feet so that I can pray for you. Uh, if you're watching with us online, while the people in this room are getting their courage together, I'm going to encourage you to participate in this by just dropping in the chat and saying, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. Come on, I just want to pray. I'm going to give you about 10 more seconds because I know that there are some other people. You don't have to be embarrassed about it. You, look, look, there are so many of us that walk around carrying guilt. And so I'm just going to invite you to stand on your feet as we kind of link arms and pray together. Father, with uh, my family in this room, we're just repenting. We're beginning by saying, Lord, we acknowledge to you, oh God, that we have fallen short. And that none of those circumstances are simple and straightforward, but the reality is that we are broken and we got issues. And some of those issues have shown up in the ways that we have lived our lives. We have dropped the ball, God, we repent. We say, Lord, we're sorry for the ways that, that we just don't always get it right. And God, what we're so thankful for is that you offer forgiveness freely, that you just lavish us with, with a promiscuous grace. God, we receive it. We open our hands and we say, thank you, Daddy, for the new mercies that you fashion every day and for the fact that you just never run out of grace that we never run out of chances, that we can come back to you over and over and over again and say, God, it's me again, and I did it again, and I need you again. God, thank you for your grace. We receive it. And God, I pray that you would help us to walk out our journey through and from failure that you would help us to notice what our role is, notice the ways that we participated, that you would help us, Jesus, to, to accept responsibility and accept the consequences, but to do so with self-compassion. God, you are the author of compassion. Help us to have that for ourselves, to have self-kindness to ourselves, 
to help us to practice self-care as we're navigating it. Jesus, help us to change. Help us to identify the lessons. What is it that the failure was supposed to teach us? Father, you are our instructor to still teach us. And then, Father, help us to build community where we can open up our shame and our guilt. And it's not something that lives at the back of the closet, but it's something that we, that we gift to our safe people. Help us to find the supports that we need. And then Jesus, help us to figure out what our methods are of making amends. And that may look different for different folks in here, but for a lot of us, maybe not all of us, but for a lot of us, it looks like just saying that we're sorry. So Father, give us the courage to say it. Give us the courage to write the letter. Give us the, the courage to send the text message. And Father, if there are other ways that we're supposed to make amends that are unique to our circumstances, identify it. That we can model something different. And that not only can we recover, but we can help others recover. And so Jesus, I'm praying for folks who are not even in this room, who are gonna be getting letters and text messages and phone calls this week. Father, would you begin to prepare their hearts to receive our hearts? Would you begin to prepare their ears to hear our words? And Father, would the testimony of this church be, I failed, but God did it. God reconciled it, God fixed it. Father, would that be our testimony? And I pray for mending of relationships and family units. And I pray that every person who's standing up right now in this room, and even those who were not prepared to stand up, and those who are listening online, and those who may be listening online at another date, I pray in Jesus' name that, that by the time we're done together today, that we will be able to walk out of here without the weight on us, that we'd be able to walk out of here with our heads a little higher and our chests sticked out, that we would leave the weight of our failure here at the feet of Jesus where it belongs. Father, you've already paid for it. So Father, let us walk out of here in courage, just be leaning in our direction, empowering us for this hard work. And I thank you so much for it in Jesus' name. Amen.